Welcome to the Political Notebook. I'm Billy Robb. I'm your host. I'm a high school teacher. And I'm Robert Robb, an editorial columnist for the Arizona Republic and Billy's dad. And we're recording this episode before Christmas. So whatever crazy news has been happening, we don't know about it yet. But uh, we want to talk about, well, my dad always poses an interesting question, and I thought it would be interesting to uh, for him to pose this question that I've heard him pose uh, a few times and, and then talk about it. So uh, what is pose away. You, what is your <laughs> inquiry? I, I have long been uh, fascinated and intrigued by the following phenomenon. When the United States first became a country, uh, our population was about three million people. But out of that population, there arose two positions of political leadership, uh, people of the caliber of George Washington, John Adams, John Quincy Adams, Alexander Hamilton, Ben Franklin, James Madison. Um, the list just goes on and on. Well, Maricopa County today has more people in it uh, than all of the United States had uh, in 1776. Uh, I don't think anyone would say that we are led by uh, people of the same caliber. And then if you look at the country at large, uh, we now have a population of over 300 million. Uh, and I don't think anyone would say that there are arising uh, to positions of political leadership uh, people uh, like um, we had in abundance uh, at our founding. Um, so my question has always been, why in the world would that be the case? Uh, I don't think that our gene pool has been so degraded uh, that we no longer produce people of that caliber. And if you look at any other field, uh, you, you look at um, technology or science or medicine or even business, uh, and you would have to say that we, um, our caliber of leadership uh, has improved over time. Um, but uh, our caliber of political leadership uh, has not. Uh, and I think that we would generally describe it as being fairly mediocre. Why is that? I'll start. I'll take a crack at it. I'm a teacher, so I'll, I'll, my first thought goes to the, you know, the education. What are the differences in education? Whether it has anything to do with it. And you know, comparing education back then, I mean, these dudes were brilliant in terms of how the scope of what they've read, and um, reading all sorts of uh, of histories. You know, history of Rome. You know, the full volumes. They're like. 12 years old, reading like Gibbons's fall of the Roman Empire. And you've got, uh, you know, just seeking out libraries and just uh, becoming gifted and um, excelling in all different areas. A lot of them are, are kind of self-taught and, and thrive for that. Other ones were, you know, tutor, uh, set up with tutors or, or, got, or went to, I guess, smaller, um, but definitely more informal 
institutions that exist now. Now we see the education system is almost like, uh, you know, it's like we're putting out cookie cutter, uh, pre-designed cookie cutter outputs, outcomes to what we want. And everyone in high school gets this prepackaged curriculum that you go to this class and you go to that class and you get these problems in math class and you go to this problem and you get, you read this chapter in U.S. history and answer these questions in U.S. history. At the end of the year, you respond to this essay question. And then once you graduate, you're 18 years old and then you go to college and you start over, take these pre-classes again, you pick a major, you pick an area of expertise and so no one, I mean, no one grows up with this kind of wide, wide open possibility of like, um, I'm going to be a renaissance, this and that, and I'm going to create my own this. And um, I don't know, that's, that's, that's the first place I think I go to is what are the differences in education? And it seemed like more wide open, kind of creative, um, become what you want. And, and, and maybe that self... Um, that self-regulation lends itself more to getting involved in political things. When I was uh, doing my uh, litany of, of giants uh, at our faculties, I actually skipped over Tom Jefferson. Um, the, as I said, the list just seems to go on and on. I'm more inclined to look at uh, our political system um, because I, I do believe that we're still producing people of that caliber in other fields. Um, now, certainly at the time of the founding, there was a great exigency. Um, people were fighting, first of all, uh, for uh, self-governance uh, in liberty, and uh, then to uh, create a national government uh, that would be sustainable um, compared to the Articles of Confederation. So uh, those are big things. And so it may be that people were uh, drawn into the political realm because uh, the stakes were so high and existential. Um, I, I, I find that an inadequate uh Explanation. I, I think it is partially true in terms of what was going on in that generation and um, why those kinds of people devoted themselves to um, politics. We don't have that high degree of exigency, but we have big challenges. Um, in our last podcast, we talked about North Korea. Um, you have uh, a federal government that desperately needs its finances fixed. Uh, we look to government to do a lot more than we did in an era uh, in which government did much less. Uh, and and uh, most of the founders uh, would be shocked at... Uh, how large the federal government has become and everything that it is involved in. Yeah, in those early in those early years, I mean, George Washington would go be president for a while and then then go home down down to do some farming and Jefferson the same thing. 
So maybe it's like it's well, almost when, like an avocation being a being a politician back then, and and now it's like it consumes your whole life. When when Washington asked Jefferson to be the first Secretary of State, Jefferson agreed only if he could uh, not show up for several months um, in order to get. Uh, his fields uh, planted or harvested. I forget which one, but there, there was a sense of putting, uh, as important as the states were, uh, they were not only politicians. Uh, obviously, they were uh, very substantial in uh, other, other respects. When... Uh when did that shift stop happening? Because you, you seem like, so maybe maybe people rise to the times. I mean, Civil War, um, Abraham Lincoln, maybe our greatest president, uh, rises, rises to power and guides us, guides us through that. When do you think the brilliance uh, in, in politics, political leadership, started to wane? Well, and, and after the, the founding generation, you had the uh, giants of Congress uh, with uh, Henry Clay and, and John Calhoun and Daniel Webster that dominated even more than the presidents of, of sort of between the founders and, and Andrew Jackson. Um, I, I don't have a good sense of the history of Congress certainly, you would say that Teddy Roosevelt was a. I disagree with a lot that Teddy Roosevelt did, but he was a big, substantial figure. Um, I would say uh, Calvin Coolidge was a highly underrated figure. You had um, FDR, um, a towering uh, political figure and in, in wartime uh, leader. And all the general uh, and all the generals uh, guiding that guiding that effort. I mean, you talk about a confluence of brilliant, courageous people all at the same time during World War II. Um, and Dwight Eisenhower, obviously, a, a more of a giant figure um, militarily, but you would certainly have to say that that was a high caliber um, political leader. I had put Ronald Reagan in in that camp. Um. But those are singular shooting stars uh, compared to an entire generation of that kind of um, political leader. And it does seem to me that, that uh, after World War II, um, when what's been dubbed the greatest generation came home from the war and went to work um, creating better lives for themselves and their families. Uh, that from that point on, uh, although the government constantly became bigger and more involved in people's lives, uh, it just seemed to attract uh, fewer and fewer high caliber people to go lead those, those governments. And maybe you're seeing people two things came to mind there is like the the process of becoming a politician seems like it has, has changed and also we've for the first time become kind of like a dom like consumer society is kind of the primary driver so maybe we have brilliant people 
going in and having in the early mindset, I'm going to, the consumption is what matters and I'm going to go out and, and do something that's going to make me a lot of money. The political, like, it seems like back, um, a lot of the brilliant politicians were people, people came to them and said, Hey, I recognize that you've got, uh, incredible leadership. You should go do this. Um, you know, the case of John Adams, people were like always putting him into the position. That's almost like the reluctant leader. And for a while it was almost, I mean, you no one ran for, for anything and no one ran for president. It was almost like you just stay out of it. And then it was, it was a, it was a, it was a calling. So I wonder if, if that's only to it too, that, um, now you almost have to be a total consume with your own, own success and your own image and your own branding. So is, is, uh, maybe that, I don't know why that would draw less people there, but um, you know, maybe, what if we right now okay. said, let's look at the most brilliant people and just try to convince them to like make you know important political decisions and get involved in politics? Maybe maybe Trump's success will or Trump's success in winning presidency will draw diverse but brilliant people into the the game. I don't know. I think that probably is an element. Uh, in, in terms of how committed you have to be uh, to um, self-promotion and um, the monomaniacal focus you have to have on politics 24-7 in the modern era. One of the um, myths that we believe in today is that politics is nastier than it's um, been in the past and and that keeps uh, good people from uh, getting involved it's not the case that politics are nastier today and the the uh, first contested uh, presidential elections we've had between uh, Jefferson and Adams was as vicious uh, as mean as our our politics today uh, probably more so, um, um, but it wasn't ubiquitous. It wasn't uh, on the television every time you turned it on. Uh, it 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 was something that was almost entertainment. But I mean, you 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 had your your pamphleteers, uh, you had your partisan newspapers. Um, and and you would have the speeches that people would rally around, uh, but it was episodic. Uh, it wasn't constant. It wasn't ubiquitous. And it it, it may be that the ubiquity of it is uh, part of what turns leaders of that caliber off. And it also may be that in those days people like that could win. Yeah. And these days, someone like that is very likely to lose yeah. to someone who's just politically consumed. Yeah, and the just because the spotlight is constantly on you and every every word you say is constantly picked apart and micromanaged, it's almost like you have to be almost 
scripted and, and precise and, 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 and crafted like your almost like your whole career. But Donald Trump kind of throws a wrench into all these, all these things a little bit. Um, but it seemed like your whole career has to be crafted. You got to go to this school, you have to have this kind of experience and you have to go into this. And if you had ever made any mistake or did had any, any skeletons in your closet, you're almost like disqualified. Well, a lot of brilliant people, have made mistakes. I mean, Abraham Lincoln had bouts of like crippling depression that he struggled with. And if that, if that happened now, I mean, people like, there's no way that Abraham Lincoln could be elected president. He struggled with mental illness. And that would be dis, our greatest president ever perhaps would be unelectable, uh, even in, I think, a, a, you know, basic uh, elections. And even if you don't have skeletons, the other side will invent them and, and create them. And in fact, I've sometimes said that the only reason that I can possibly think to run for office was to find out how, from a different perspective, um, my life could look uh, far more uh, colorful and um, disgraceful <laughs> than I perceived it as I was living it. <laughs> and it's almost like you got to battle that. So I don't know if you're, if you're like, uh, I don't know, Elon Musk or something like, why would you, why would you go into the political arena just to get, well, but, but again, again, pit? it's not new. I mean, scan, right. scandalous, um, accusations, uh, are, have been par for the course in American politics from the beginning. But again, the difference is the ubiquitous um, nature of them these days. Uh, and so maybe maybe it was one thing to live with um, reading a unfair, scandalous accusation against yourself in some pamphlet and turning on the TV and seeing it uh, a dozen times a day. I mean, maybe that's... That's different, but but the best explanation I of of the ones that we've sort of tried on to see how they fit um, to me is the fact that people like that probably would lose uh, to professional politicians. We've turned politics from a calling into a profession. Is there any corrective nature to that? I mean, and I was every time all these rules I'm thinking out, Trump kind of. Through, through those out a little bit. He didn't campaign like a conventional uh, politician. He kind of just, I think in a negative way, but sold sold something different, came as an outsider. What could happen to bring more brilliant people in there, do you think? And uh, will Trump's um, success at nabbing that top spot cause more people to get politically inclined, do you think? Well, I don't think so, because he's he has added to the ugliness of politics, which I think for most people is a is a turnoff. Um, I'm a big believer in term limits. Uh, I would like to see us go to a single year, six year term for president. Uh, I would like to see us uh, have term limits for the U.S. Senate and in Congress. I would love to see so, that. So 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 that it. So the, the ability to make it a career uh, would be far more difficult. We have term limits here in Arizona, and um, some people 
once their term is, expires in the House, they'll run for the Senate. Once their term expires in the Senate, they'll run for the House. So it hasn't completely eliminated careerism. Um, uh, but I, I, I think, I mean, you look at how liberated uh, people in, in Congress are once they decide they're not going to run for yeah. re-election. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 if, if you had people for whom the worst thing in their life would not be losing an election. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I, and I, I think term limits would help create that greater willingness to take it on and increase the chances of non-professional politicians to have a shot. Because in a, in a representative democracy, you want, you want leaders that you trust that are willing to make tough decisions for the best of everyone. That's a point of a representative democracy. And right now people are scared to make tough. I think people are scared to make tough decisions and unpopular decisions, mainly because of that fear of, um, of the voters. How are we going to cut our, how are we going to cut our, our huge debt? Well, you're going to have to make unpopular decisions. And if people, if it was a direct democracy, no one would ever vote to cut, cut social security benefits and raise taxes. But maybe that's exactly what would save us in the long run or tough decisions like that. Another reform that might help, um, would be to eliminate the formal legal role of political parties in our selection of our um, elected officials. The founders crafted a government that was intended to discourage parties. And um, until we formed parties very quickly with the Jefferson Adams uh, presidential contest, um, the intent was not to have parties. And uh, certainly I think uh, you it's natural for people who agree on certain political objectives to organize together to maximize their clout. So I think parties are inevitable. Uh, but you could eliminate their official legal role so that they would be voluntary advocacy groups um, rather than the way that you get on the ballot uh, to get elected. And what about campaign finance? Does that play a role in that too? Because, I mean, right now to get elected, you've got to be cozy with a lot of rich, powerful people and to be have them thinking that you're going to do something that they want you to do so they give you the money so you can, so you can run these campaign. I don't know. You definitely didn't need that same thing back when these brilliant people were getting elected, did you? Well, you... you you had um, people like Thomas um, Paine, who was secretly paid to write what he wrote. Um, so you, you in, and um, uh, as I recall, Alexander Hamilton arranged for there to be a Federalist newspaper uh, founded in order to create propaganda um, to counterbalance uh, the propaganda that was being levied against the Federalists by um, newspapers that, that Thomas Jefferson was covertly uh, helping to, to fund. That's, that's different than needing millions of dollars from 
from donors but, to be able to run a, a competitive campaign. Well, but but it's partly scale. I mean, we, we were a country of 3 million then. We're a country of 300 million now. It's, it's sort of hard to communicate um, with, even in a congressional district, hundreds of thousands of voters. I guess back I, then the only people that could that, vote were rich white people anyways. <laughs> right. Um, I, I tend to believe that that spending your money on politics is an act of liberty that's protected by the First Amendment and should be. Uh, so um, what I would like to see is to lift... Actually, I'd take campaign finance in kind of the opposite direction of, of what most people would like to see. Rather than limit uh, contributions, I would rather lift limits on contributions... Uh, to candidates um, so that candidates would control their own message more. Right now, candidates, uh, particularly in a contested race where both national parties are playing big time, become bystanders in their own election. Uh, Most of the uh, political messaging that voters hear and receive come from third-party independent groups, but how would lifting corporate, how would lifting spending limits on campaigns change that? Because I think some of the money that now goes to those third-party efforts would instead go to the candidates. Oh, like and, so instead of and, donating the sewer pack, you could just donate directly to the candidate. To the candidate, and and uh, then then the candidate would have a bigger voice uh, in his own election. Because a lot of so, these commercials are made by the by the packs. If you're in a contested race, and and Arizona has a lot of them, our our U.S. Senate race will be contested, Uh, at least two of our congressional races will be national targets, possibly a third. In all of those races, uh, what outside groups will spend will exceed what the candidates have to spend. Theirs will be the minority voice. Uh, and that's just not right. Um, I believe in the uh, in the right to engage in independent campaigns, uh, but somehow what the candidates have to say in their own voice, on their own behalf, should dominate uh, the public discussion, not be a minor sideshow. Yeah, and the more authentic that can be, I think... I think the better, and that's that's something maybe Trump had to his advantage. Is he would just say whatever, <laughs> whatever he wanted uh, at all times. Um, anything else come to mind? Any other theories you want to you want to try out? <laughs> no, we've we've tried on a lot of them. Uh, none of them fit perfectly, uh, but I think uh, a lot of them are part of the answer. Right. We'll look forward to seeing political geniuses emerging starting (laughs) in 2018 uh, and beyond. Well, thank you very much for listening to this special edition of The Political Notebook, and we'll see you uh, back next week.